This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions. Hello and welcome to this week's BMJ Best Practice podcast on COVID-19. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm Clinical Director at BMJ. In this week's podcast, we're going to focus on some important issues related to cardiology and COVID, test and trace, and shielding and social distancing. To tell us how the guidelines can help with these issues, we have on the line Emma Scott, Section Editor, and Dr. Matt Castledon, Section Editor and GP, who both work on BMJ Best Practice and BMJ Learning. So to start with Emma and cardiology in the first instance. Emma, the European Society of Cardiology has published guidance on the diagnosis and management of cardiovascular disease during the pandemic. What did they advise for the management of acute coronary syndrome? For patients with ST elevation MI, the guidance uh, emphasises the need for timely reperfusion and recommends that all patients are managed as if they have COVID-19. The maximum delay from diagnosis to reperfusion is 120 minutes. The primary PCI is the treatment of choice if it can be done safely within that time. The guidance um, advises that a delay of up to 60 minutes can occur while setting up protective measures against COVID-19. And this should be taken into account when assessing whether timely PCI is possible. If PCI can't be done within the target time, then fibrinolysis is the treatment of choice if there aren't any contraindications. Uh, Patients should be tested for COVID-19 as soon as possible and at the latest on admission to intensive care after reperfusion. Management of patients with non-ST elevation ACS is guided by risk stratification. And again, patients should be tested for COVID-19 as soon as possible. The European guidelines suggest four risk groups for patients with non-ST elevation, which are very high, high, intermediate and low. Very high-risk patients need immediate invasive management without waiting for COVID-19 test results following the same pathway as patients with ST elevation. High-risk patients uh, should have early intervention after their COVID test results are known, ideally within 24 hours, and intermediate and low-risk patients can be managed non-invasively after their COVID test results are known. Okay, great, thank you. And what does the guidance say about the diagnosis of acute coronary syndrome? Yes, the guidance notes that diagnosis um, of acute coronary syndromes and other cardiovascular conditions can be more difficult in patients with known active COVID-19 as symptoms such as shortness of breath and chest pain or tightness can overlap. But they remind us that the presence of COVID-19 infection shouldn't mean that cardiac events, including ACS, are overlooked and that it can be associated with the infection or unrelated. The same ECG criteria for cardiac conditions apply for patients with and without COVID. Um, Troponin and other cardiac enzymes can be elevated in COVID-19 infection. Um, And another guideline from Australia and New Zealand notes that elevated troponin shouldn't be relied on to indicate ACS in patients with COVID-19. The European guidance suggests that key elements for identifying MI uh, would be chest pain characteristics, assessment of COVID severity, uh, troponin measurement and cardiac imaging. Okay, great. Thank you. That's very clear. Um, Lastly, uh, what about smoking? and and COVID-19. What what do the guidelines say about that? Uh, Yes, this is um, another area we've recently covered in the best practice topic on management of coexisting conditions in the context of COVID-19. Evidence suggests that patients with COVID-19 who smoke tobacco 
have an increased risk um, of more severe disease and also death. Smokers are also at increased risk of contracting COVID-19 with the repetitive hand-to-mouth movements that are involved. Um, E-cigarettes can be used as nicotine replacement. Um, the evidence for benefits and harms is still developing there, but use of e-cigarettes also obviously involves repetitive hand-to-mouth movements. Um, overall, smoking cessation is strongly encouraged. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Emma. Let's move on to Matt um, and Test and Trace. Um, Matt, Test and Trace, how does it currently work for essential workers in the UK? Essentially, the new NHS Test and Trace system is overlaying over the, the previous system for testing essential workers, including healthcare workers. So if you're a healthcare worker with symptoms of COVID-19, you should use the pre-existing essential worker testing service. So there's an online portal on the government website, or you can seek it through your employer, uh, which is different from the general public uh, who have a new NHS branded testing portal. So the essential worker testing service is prioritized. uh, And if you're a healthcare worker with symptoms of COVID-19, you should seek your tests through there. What then happens afterwards Uh, in terms of the contact tracing is the same. There is specific guidance though for healthcare workers on informing their line manager, stopping work obviously, and if they test positive and don't have symptoms, they should still stay away from work uh, and self-isolate with their household according to, to government recommendations. Okay, thank you. And say you're a healthcare worker and you've had a positive antibody test, uh, and then you meet somebody with, who happens to have COVID. Um, what should you do? Well, you shouldn't change your behaviour in, in any way. The antibody testing is really being rolled out uh, so that Public Health England can sort of assess zero prevalence of the, the disease. At the moment, we can't establish the degree of immunity um, to reinfection. Yeah, there are still questions over how sensitive antibody testing is, particularly for for people with mild or asymptomatic disease. So although healthcare workers are recommended to get the tests, it's really for information only at this stage. For information for public health, rather than changing management in any way. So the self-isolation you would do and follow recommendations with a positive swab PCR test but not for a blood antibody test. Okay, thank you. Let's move on to another subject, that of face covering. Can you tell us the latest guidance on face covering? Well, the UK guidance uh, and the the WHO World Health Organization guidance has changed with regards to the general public and use of non-medical masks or face coverings. The advice on healthcare workers and carers using face masks as part of PPE, that's essentially unchanged. But for members of the public, um, they are. it is now recommended that they wear face coverings, including in hospital settings, public transport, if you're out and about, and you can't maintain social distancing. Now that's the, that's the gist of the WHO recommendations, is that if you can't maintain adequate social distancing, then that's where face coverings have a place. In England, for example, on public transport, it's recommended for everyone. So there's still quite a 
a variation in the detail of the recommendations for face coverings, but the message is that they're that it's now being recognised they do have a role, and that's in preventing the wearer from spreading infection to other people. Okay, thank you. And uh, another important subject is shielding. Um, tell us about the, the latest uh, guidance on shielding. So the guidance on shielding is really on what the people who are shielded, uh, who are considered to be extremely vulnerable to, to COVID-19, it relates to what they, they can and can't do. So you know, from early on in the pandemic in the UK, these people, transplant recipients, for example, uh, people with severe asthma or COPD, um, people who are considered more uh, extremely at risk of COVID-19, were advised to stay at home, avoid leaving the house in almost all circumstances. For them, the guidance is now they can leave the house, but maintaining strict social distancing and limiting their their contacts with other people. But in terms of the actual groups um, that are recommended, they're unchanged and there's still a role for hospital consultants, specialists and GPs to identify people who they feel should be shielded even if they don't meet the criteria set down by NHS Digital. Thank you, Matt. And one last thing that's been in the news this week is the role of dexamethasone in treatment. Can you tell us about that? Yes, there were some interim results announced yesterday from the recovery trial, which is a, a UK-wide trial investigating various treatments, uh, proposed treatments for COVID-19. And they suggest that low-dose dexamethasone is an effective treatment for the management of hospitalised patients with COVID-19 who require oxygen or ventilation. It's a, a big trial. It's worth making the point that the, the results haven't been published yet, but the findings are considered significant enough that you know, guidance across the NHS is, is being changed. So dexamethasone is associated with, with reduced mortality risk. Uh, and as I said, it's more in patients with severe COVID-19. There's no evidence of benefit found to date in people with milder disease, but particularly in patients who are ventilated, there's a suggestion that deaths might be reduced by one third. So it's quite a significant finding. Okay, thank you very much, Matt and also Emma. And thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful and we hope you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and look at the content and this and other diseases. Thank you once again.